So like I was mentioning earlier, um, these teachings that the Buddha gave on metta, goodwill, um, I think really are applicable to our awareness practice um, and can really be a huge support for this wisdom practice of seeing things as they are. And maybe we could even say that it's um, difficult to practice awareness, to receive the present moment without this attitude of goodwill being present. And so I want to explore a little bit um, some of the Buddhist teachings on goodwill, on metta. And um, I think this quality is really one that, that we feel um, or we feel its absence. And so, yeah, I just encourage us as I'm speaking and, um, yeah, as you're listening, together we can see if we can tune in, not just to the words, but what are the words pointing to and how is that a support for our hearts um, here and now? I was thinking about this just before coming in, just how this quality is a you know is something, something that we can feel and that we do feel hopefully from time to time. And that it uh, it's an attitude in the mind, and so it really can be applied to any aspect of our experience. Thich Nhat Hanh would say that we can touch, we can, as we're walking, we can kiss the earth. So I would really encourage us in our retreat practice in particular to just explore and to keep an eye out for this quality and how it might just be able to be part of your awareness practice like looking at the world, looking at ourselves with this heart of kindness. And I think one of the main themes I want to explore is just how uh, how maybe this quality is really applicable in all situations. And uh, that's really how the Buddha talked about it as immeasurable, these different words that we chant in the four quarters chant, immeasurable and in all directions, to all as to oneself. So really the invitation is this expansive nature that there doesn't have to be a boundary to how that heart quality expresses itself. And that's why we can feel affection, you know, for inanimate objects, (laughs) like a mug or, you know, this rug, even though it's imperfect. <laughs> and so I think that's helpful too because um, then we can start where it's easy uh, and just get a, get a flavor for what this quality feels like, the quality of wishing well. And, you know, inanimate objects may be easier to wish well. You know, our water bottle that's always there for us. <laughs> you know, and just to see, yeah, we have... We humans seem to have this inbuilt capacity and tendency for wishing well 
And I think the Buddha's teachings on this are is just sort of taking advantage of that fact that we have this wiring as mammals towards nurturance. Obviously, we have other conditioning as well, but there is this, this conditioning of caring, of wishing well, and we can really highlight that and make use of that um, because it's a sublime abiding. It's a, the words used to describe these qualities of heart are Brahma-viharas, so divine abidings, you know, so... There's something liberating. They're temporary liberations of heart when the heart is really settled or really um, really present with, really feeling into, really absorbed into one of these qualities of heart, of love, then it's temporarily freed from ill will. It's said that the Buddha, part of what defines awakening uh, is the uprooting of the tendency towards ill will, towards ill will and towards greed and towards delusion. And this can be a beautiful um, thing to reflect on because in small ways we can get a taste of it in our own heart. Like I was just saying, a mind that's temporarily freed from ill will. You know, I'm sure we've all had that experience, whether it's with a pet or a friend or a partner or, you know, just feeling universal love for humanity or just these moments that we sort of tap into looking at a beautiful scene in nature and just the heart is really full of this wishing well, you know, no boundaries. And um, yeah, so that uh, experience of freedom from ill will. And then it's just a question then, you know, having had experiences like that, then maybe it makes us a little more interested in the ill will that does arise for us And in the ways that we, um, maybe somewhat consciously or not, justify ill will and just the way that that ill will shows up for us towards ourselves, towards others, you know, small irritations and then, you know, deep-seated resentments, fear as a form of ill will. So I think the exploration, they go hand in hand and people talk about that in cultivating qualities like um, goodwill will often bring up their opposite. Um, and that's, it's a, it's a um, practice of purification in that way. You know, just to wish ourselves well, like we do in the traditional metaphrases, it's not uncommon, I think, for that to bring up its opposite or to wish well to others. So, um, that's why generally we do start where it's easy, so at least we kind of have a a sense of what this quality is and some confidence that it is possible. But I think uh, having this example of the Buddha um, or other people that we might see and just are impressed by their ability to apparently 
not hold on to resentment and ill will, even when it may be justified. It's said that uh, the Buddha's cousin uh, tried to kill him. <laughs> so that's an extreme form of ill will. And uh, the Buddha didn't respond with ill will. He would say things like, you're misguided, you're misguided fool or something. That would be like the extent of the harshness. But, you know, and I imagine he took care to protect himself. But just imagine, you know, that what's absent in that, in a heart that doesn't um, feel that need to respond with ill will. And imagining that maybe it's actually a functional possibility, um, that it doesn't preclude the, uh, preclude boundaries, preclude uh, taking care of oneself, taking care of others. And that's really, I think, a lot of the teachings on metta with this expansive invitation are really asking us that question. And it's, it's a provocative question. Do we need ill will and resentment in order to navigate our lives, in order to take care of ourselves. There's um, a teaching from the discourses where the there are snakes that are near the monastics and um, there's a phrases used where they're wishing the snakes well, and they say, may the snakes be well, may they depart. <laughs> and I love that. <laughs> and I, I think that's clarifying, and this comes from a book I read recently um, by Tanisaro Bhikkhu, who's a, a monk who lives in California, American monk and scholar and translator. And one of his main points throughout this book um, which is on the subject of metta, um, is he's really making the case that uh, defining metta as goodwill can be clarifying, um, and can help us distinguish it uh, from other qualities that are similar. But to really get get clear for me, it was helpful to get you know to to try that on metta as goodwill. And the word metta is related to mitta, which is friend, so friendliness. Um, but goodwill, to me, is really specific. It's um, wishing well, wishing for someone's well-being. And um, yeah, so like in that situation with the snakes, that it's really possible to wish snakes well while understanding that it would be in both of our best interests to not share space intimately, you know, and so that's different than liking or loving the snakes. And again, part of this is just words, but I I think it can be clarifying because I think that wishing well, we can imagine wishing well, even for people that we don't like or love or people that we may need to take space from, distance from, but do we need to wish them uh, harm? And that's really, you know, I think when we put it in those terms, we can start to maybe get a feel 
in certain situations, kind of what is the creative way? How is it possible to keep my heart open even in you know, this difficult or complicated situation? And I think it also helps clarify and points to the intention behind these teachings and I think the, the deepest intention behind them is actually liberating our own hearts and getting clearer in our own hearts about the danger of ill will. You know, because if, if that's the predominant concern, then even in situations, you know, where just ill will would be justified, out of compassion for our own hearts, we're interested, how can the heart be free of ill will here? How can I feel safe enough in the situation where my heart can stay open. And that may mean, you know, I'm not going to talk to you, I'm not going to see you, but with that distance, I feel safe enough to say, well, you're acting unskillfully, but I wish, you know, I wish for your well-being. I wish for you to be setting in motion the causes for your happiness. And that some of the Buddhist teachings really point um, to this taking care and just this kind of concern with our own hearts and their freedom from ill will. And the Buddha was not afraid of um, being provocative and setting really high bars. To make a point, I think, I think like in this teaching um, that's fairly well known on bandits. So if the teaching goes, if bandits were to capture you and saw your limbs off, (laughs) even then to have ill will in one's heart wouldn't be to follow the teaching, but instead you should pervade them with a mind of goodwill and then outwards in all directions. (laughs) And, um, I think it's a powerful teaching because it's really making this point to to look at all the ways that we do justify ill will. And even in this situation where ill will would definitely be justified, the question, as I interpret the point of the teaching, the question is just, I don't think it's the Buddha encouraging us to hold to some unrealistic um, view and try to become perfect you know, from an ego place, but um, but just this pointing to the valuing our own hearts and their own capacity to be free. And so it's sort of like if, if in that situation, you know, just to kind of expand our minds, to open our minds, you know, is this quality functional? Is it useful? Is ill will useful? Or is it just additional suffering in our heart? And also we can distinguish metta, uh, goodwill from more attached forms of love. And there's a Pali word, Pema, which I think we could translate as affection or attached love, you know, the kind of when we like someone or we love someone and there's attachment there. And this is a, you know, 
part of being human as well. But there's an interesting teaching that says, you know, this kind of love, Pema, can give rise to ill will. So say you have someone you're close to and then someone else insults them, you know, that tends to give rise to, to ill will in your heart. And we all know too, in, with attached love and affection, there's more self in there usually. We may have agendas for people that we're close to, wanting them to behave in certain ways. So goodwill Yeah, goodwill doesn't mean that we necessarily like or feel close to someone, but we can wish them well. And and I think it can actually be clarifying in our close relationships to distinguish these, you know, moments where there is goodwill, wishing well, and moments where there's attachment and, you know, wanting someone to be a certain way. And this idea that metta could be universally applicable in all situations and in all our relationships, I think can be clarifying. Um, and that maybe it's the, the most trustworthy foundation for any kind of relationship that we might have. Or to put, say it a different way, um, yeah, is there ever a situation where goodwill wouldn't be helpful? Or is it ever inappropriate, even in the most casual relationship of some store clerk, you know, that you may not ever see again? But does that quality of wishing well, is it available? And does it actually support whatever small interaction happens there? For me, it, it has been clarifying in all the different relationships, you know, work relationships, close relationships, over time to be getting clear that this capacity that the heart has to wish well is really trustworthy. Like, of all the intentions in the heart, when there's some contact with this, it's really trustworthy, um, And that it can coexist with all sorts of other intentions, but that we can, this is one that we, we can sort of trust wholeheartedly without holding back. Can we ever have too much goodwill for ourselves or for others? And if that's the case, you know, that, that it is kind of really functional and helpful, then can we develop it? And that's really the encouragement. The Buddha encouraged us to develop, develop it all the time, basically. <laughs> When in doubt, you know, can this sort of be our home in a way in terms of cultivating um, habits of mind? Working at Common Ground, working with a lot of different people when I was office manager, I learned that it would be more functional and make everything go more smoothly to bring this quality to, to mind and to bear. And it was relatively easy working at a meditation center where generally people are showing up with their best selves, but still there's a lot to do and I could definitely get impatient. But it, 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 uh, I learned that it, there is a, 
there is a way to incline the mind. And it, they say that the, um, the teachings say that the proximate cause, the supporting cause for metta is to see the good. And again, you know, at Common Ground, this is one of the, the beautiful things about um, gathering, having community around these teachings is that this is sort of what we're here together about. This is what we're gathering around. So it's relatively easy to see the good, you know. We're here because we care about our hearts and waking up and um, living in a skillful way. And I think having that orientation that this is a quality that can be developed, it can really help us see its opposite of ill will. And again, all the, all the little and big ways that we, that we justify it. And then just to ask, is this helping anyone? What, what would goodwill look like in this situation? And I think defining it as goodwill may be helpful in getting clear about what maybe needs to shift in moments where there is ill will. Because we may have ideals of what goodwill looks like, what metta looks like, or what love looks like. And they may be, uh, they may be different from what goodwill needs to look like in a particular situation. You know, like I was saying with, with the snakes or, Goodwill can look like it doesn't always have to be um, soft or gentle or overly exuberant or affectionate. Goodwill can look like 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 good boundaries or like you know uh, a sense of humor or pointing out someone's faults in a loving way. So it, you know just to be open to. If the intention, if we're clear that the intention is goodwill, that we wish well for ourselves and for others, then we're less attached to what that looks like, or we're, we're really being clear. When, when there is clarity, yeah, this heart means well, and that means I need to tell someone something they may not want to hear. But we can trust that if we have some clarity that it's coming from a place of goodwill. Ajahn Suchitto is a British monk and um, I've been reading his book on the Paramis which is this list of ten virtues of which metta is one and um, I'll just read something he wrote about metta he has a description for each that I think really captures the essence of each of the ten Paramis he says recognizing the happiness of a warm heart I aspire to cultivate empathy and compassion. Resisting mind states based on fault-finding of myself or others, I will encourage goodwill rather than foster ideals of perfection. I like that last sentence because I think uh, sometimes we can take the teachings on metta, beautiful qualities, and use them to feel bad about ourselves. (laughs) And so just that, I, I like that encouraging goodwill rather than fostering ideals of perfection, um, which is so easy to do. But goodwill just wishes well. It's not 
doesn't have this perfect bar that you need to reach in order to then be wished goodwill. It just wishes well. It just wants what's best. So it's, um, it's available in that way. I think also defining metta as goodwill can um, encourage us to see, again, like the breadth of its application as a place of interest. Obviously, there's beautiful experiences we can have, and, and I'm sure we have had in our life about a depth of feeling, a depth of connection, a depth of emotion, and um, of love. And certainly that um, those can be beautiful experiences. And it's really interesting that we can have those experiences and still have a lot of ill will. So defining metta as goodwill and kind of that maybe uh, an interesting place to investigate is, you know, how expansive can this be? How much of my life can be included here? How much of myself can be included in that? There may be certain places in our life or certain people where there's just a capacity to love or you know, feel a deep connection. And then maybe a lot of the rest of our life is a little, you know, who cares? Who cares about the mailman or, you know? So just that invitation that you know, just to look at the ways that we relate, all the ways that we relate to ourselves and to the people in our life, and just to be honest and to ask, you know, what is the quality? What is the relationship here? Is there some degree of goodwill or is there some degree of ill will, irritation, holding someone at bay out of our hearts? And it's, again, it's, I think the question isn't about Becoming somebody, you know, someone that looks like they're just always radiating love towards everyone, but really out of our own self-concern, you know, do I have to live with this grumpy, irritable heart? Or would it be possible in these situations? What conditions would need to be present in order for it to be possible to just, um, to not, basically to not be, Justifying ill will, holding someone out of our hearts. And that this sort of exploration is really where we'll learn a lot about about our hearts. So again, that would be my just one point that, I, that I've taken from, from that book and that I've been exploring and finding really useful is just that, again, breadth of application um, in order to keep expanding the places and situations where this liberating, beautiful quality can express itself. And... Again, the Buddha encouraged this in in many ways. 
with many different images, kind of pointing to both the danger of ill will and also the preciousness of a heart that's free from ill will. So different images, like I already mentioned, the bandit, which is called the simile of the saw, if you want to look that up. <laughs> There's an image about kind of the uh, the desperateness or the um, preciousness of this quality. I don't remember the whole context, but something about someone would be willing to, you know, like like it's precious water. So even if the last bit of water of goodwill um, was found in a cow's footprint, someone would get down on all fours and lap it up from that, you know, kind of an undignified way. But because this is is so valuable, and I think we can maybe get a, a sense for that, especially at times in our lives when we maybe aren't feeling a lot of goodwill directed towards us or in our own hearts. And then, you know, just someone at the store or, or a friend just, gives us a smile, and it's like that. It's like an oasis. (laughs) And the Buddha also said, um, protecting this quality like we would protect our only child, so that it's really precious and something to take care of. And with ill will, he said, ill will is like picking up a hot coal to throw at someone else. And we're really focused on, you know, getting even, but we don't realize that we're, we're burning up ourselves. So I want to shift a little and talk about what this goodwill can, can look like more specifically. And I think kind of uh, um, the classic definition in terms of a um, a relationship that's defined by goodwill is uh, kalyana mitta. Kalyana can mean beautiful, and mitta is friend. So a spiritual friend is how it's often translated. So this is a, a friend that really wishes the best for us. That's really defined by that goodwill. And um, there are specific teachings on this, which have I found, which I've found useful in clarifying and, and inspiring both in thinking about what kind of friends I really want to have, what kind of friends are really supportive, and what kind of friend I aspire to be. So I'll read some quotes from the suttas on this. Monastics, a friend endowed with seven qualities is worth associating with. Which seven? He gives what, oh, maybe I'll use they. They give what is hard to give. They do what is hard to do. They endure what is hard to endure. They reveal their secrets to you. They keep your secrets. When misfortunes strike, they don't abandon you. When you're down and out, they don't look down on you. So I like that a lot of it is kind of the resilience and the uh, commitment and the willingness to bear with (laughs) difficulty.
and this trust, revealing secrets, keeping secrets, and this compassion, this understanding that we all go through hard times and a good friend is one that, you know, like we say, not a fair weather friend, friend through thick and thin, someone who's there for you when things are difficult. I like that it points to that friendship uh, probably necessarily involves difficulty, you know, just to be in relationship with each other, being uh, imperfect, unawakened beings. I think that's a lot about what this, these, um, being a spiritual friend is about. I mean, encouraging each other to um, follow the teachings, to follow teachings directed towards kindness and wisdom and waking up, but also understanding that we're on the path. Um, so there's a lot of encouragement to have friends that are willing to point out one's faults. If one finds a person who points out one's, one's faults and who reproves one, one should follow such a wise and sagacious counselor as one would a, as one would a guide to hidden treasure. So I think this is a different definition of friendship than maybe a more superficial one. You know, this is a, a friend that's really more than just enjoying our company, is really interested in our deepest welfare, which is, comes from our own self-understanding and awakening. The Buddha said, with regard to external factors, I don't envision any other single factor like friendship with admirable people as doing so much for a monastic in training who has not attained the heart's goal, but remains intent on the unsurpassed safety from bondage. And another famous um, quote is that spiritual friendship is not half of the holy life. So Ananda, the Buddha's attendant, um, remark to the Buddha. It seems that spiritual friendship is is so valuable, it must be worth half of the holy life. And the Buddha said, don't say that. Spiritual friendship is the whole of the holy life. And I think this is really putting the teachings and our practice in this context that it it always exists in relationship And we can feel gladdened by that and and, um, grateful for that, for our teachers and for our fellow practitioners. Like Mark said on the opening night, maybe, you know, how how much harder would it be to practice like we're doing intensively if we were on our own? And with these uh, teachings on on seeing our you know our faults and having them pointed out to us, there was a whole system in the Buddha's uh, training for the monastics around. You know, they had a lot of rules and people would break them, and and there was this really beautiful um, systems for kind of addressing harm, and it it seems to really 
yeah, be based in this goodwill and this understanding that we make mistakes. And I think this is just important <laughs> in relating to ourselves. You know, like Ajahn Suchito says, not goodwill is not coming from this place of ideals of perfection, but really from the opposite, that we're encouraging ourselves, you know, to hold to the highest standards, not in order to prove anything, but because it's in our best interest. There's, um, I think it's maybe in the Buddha's words on loving kindness. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. And it's such a high bar, we can maybe feel intimidated by that, but but wouldn't we want to uh, for our own well-being you know what you know what kind of heart that that is that cares um, it's just coming out of out of compassion and out of care out of wanting you know our own welfare and the welfare of others so i like this quote on this um point about mistakes or causing harm These two are fools. Which two? The one who doesn't see their transgression as a transgression and the one who doesn't rightfully pardon another who has confessed their transgression. These two are fools. So I don't remember all the details, but it it seems like that was just part of the culture. You know, someone would make a mistake and um, would be forgiven in that context of community. That was just part part of the culture. I think there were transgressions where, you know, were so extreme that you would have to leave the monastic order, um, but anything beyond sort of these extremes would be forgiven. This is a quote from uh, an author that wrote a book called Big Friendship, which I haven't read, but it's about friendship. Two friends wrote it. And this is from an interview with Amina Amina Tu, one of the authors. We write in the book about Greek philosophers saying that friendship is a mirror that you hold to yourself. And as cliche as it sounds, it is true and it is very powerful. If you are interested in gaining self-knowledge, overcoming trauma, healing, and being a full person, you need to find ways to learn about yourself. Being a friend and having a friend is one of the most powerful ways you can do that. And you can imagine people living in spiritual community now and at the time of the Buddha. You know, just that rubbing and scrubbing that, that... you know, when we're in community, when we're in relationship, we see, we see our conditioning. And if we have that uh, context, whether it's in a, you know, a close friendship or in a spiritual community where there's a, a wider context of, you know, we're not expecting ourselves to be perfect. We're really willing to give and receive feedback and um, that it's all held in this context of goodwill rather than holding to ideals of perfection. There's so much learning that happens there.
And I think it's really that context, whether it's in our own hearts or in relationship, it's that context that allows for that safety and trust. So maybe I'll just close by giving a few uh, quotes that are sort of describing, and we could think of this externally and internally, but what is sort of creates that environment where we feel like there's some trust, um, trust for this metta to, to emerge. So there are four grounds for the bonds of fellowship, giving, kind words, beneficial help, consistency. These are the four grounds for the bonds of fellowship. And then six conditions that are conducive to amiability that engender feelings of endearment, feelings of respect, leading to a sense of fellowship, a lack of disputes, harmony, and a state of unity. Which six? Bodily, verbal, and mental acts of goodwill, sharing, virtue or virtuous conduct, non-harming, and right view. So a sense that you know, being interested in suffering and the end of suffering. So this is describing a culture that we can be cultivating in our own hearts, in our relationships, in our community. And in that context, then it really makes sense for goodwill um, to arise and to really be um, something that we, we grow to trust more and more that really is functional, that serves, uh, serves our own inner experience and serves us showing up in our lives. So I'll end with uh, the poem that you may have heard, Kindness, by Naomi Shihab Nye, which I think just makes a lot of these points about the preciousness of this quality in that it's something that we can bring to bear in the everyday of our life. Before you know what kindness really is, you must lose things. Feel the future dissolve in a moment like salt in a weakened broth. What you held in your hand, what you counted and carefully saved, all this must go so you know how desolate the landscape can be between the regions of kindness. How you ride and ride, thinking the bus will never stop. The passengers eating maize and chicken will stare out the window forever. Before you learn the tender gravity of kindness, you must travel where the Indian in a white poncho lies dead by the side of the road. You must see how this could be you, how he too was someone who journeyed through the night with plans and the simple breath that kept him alive. Before you know kindness as the deepest thing inside, you must know sorrow as the other deepest thing. You must wake with sorrow. You must speak to it till your voice catches the thread of all sorrows and you see the size of the cloth. Then it is only kindness that makes sense anymore, only kindness that ties your shoes and sends you out into the day to gaze at bread, only kindness that raises its head from the crowd of the world to say, it is I you have been looking for, and then goes with you everywhere, like a shadow or a friend. So let's just sit together for a minute. Letting go of the words.
Thanks, everyone, for your attention. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org.